podcast, you're with Shan Swales. This podcast was established back in June 2021 when I was going through my own burnout to recovery experience. You can hear my story in both episode one and episode six and can also read about it on my blog, which you will find on my website, which is www.adifferentkindofgapier.com. I decided to create this podcast because earlier on in my own burnout to recovery experience, I found it really valuable to hear that other people are or had been through burnout as well. It helped give me hope that things would definitely improve for me. It validated and normalized what I was experiencing. And it also helped me get a deeper understanding of what I was going through and what could help or, or not help me through to the other side. Each guest that I have on the show has their own unique burnout to recovery experience. And it's this uniqueness that we can all benefit from hearing as there may be something from each of their stories that resonates with you and helps you or your loved ones be able to walk their journey out of burnout. This month on A Different Kind of Gap Year, we have my first international guest, Sarah. Sarah's journey uh, through from burnout to recovery has been an interesting one, one that can be summed up as discovery, learning and growth. She has had a couple of career breaks uh, from her work as a hypnotherapist and she has also been through chronic illness during her journey. The fabulous thing about her journey is that it has led her into a direction of researching burnout and really understanding it so she can help herself but also others and she has now created a program but also written a book to help others. I am so very glad she has chosen to share her burnout to recovery story and all the wisdom that has come with it with us here today. So sit back, enjoy, and thank you for listening. Hi, Sarah, and welcome to Burnout, a different kind of gap year podcast. Hello, I really appreciate you inviting me to, to be a guest on your podcast, Shannon. Thank you. Oh, you're more than welcome, Sarah. It's an absolute pleasure. And thank you for your willingness and bravery uh, to come on to the show and, and share your burnout to recovery experience with us all. My great pleasure. So let's start off gently with setting a bit of the scene for listeners by sharing what your work and, and life uh, looked like before before burnout? Yeah, well, initially I actually trained as an osteopath and naturopath. So I, I did a four-year full, full-time training, which gave me a wonderful background of a lot of the kind of anatomy, physiology, pathology. Um, so I understood, it, it gave me a very good foundation for, uh, for my work later. But mm. uh, I became less interested in the structure of the body and much more interested in what makes people tick and the, what's happening psychologically, mentally and emotionally. Mm -hmm. So later on, I trained as a hypnotherapist and I loved working as a hypnotherapist. So that mm -hmm. was my primary mode of working. I ran a successful practice for over 20 years, but alongside most of that time, I was mm -hmm. a single mother 
bringing up three boys from the ages of four, six and eight. Mm. So life was incredibly demanding. And that was part of what contributed to my burnout because I was uh, the sole provider, almost the sole carer. And Mm. so I found it really hard to balance work and bringing up the family and earning enough money because being self-employed, there was always the irregular income, which was Mm. an added concern. Uh, Mm. So that was, that's kind of the background to my burnout. I I, I didn't balance work and personal life very well at all. Yeah, but there's such a high demand on you there being the sole provider for for your three boys yes. uh, and, and a single parent there as well. Uh, and also a, a, a business owner where, you know, that secure income, you know, it has its ups and downs. I, I, I know that from being in business myself as well. It's not necessarily stable. And when you are the sole provider, that's a lot of pressure. That's a lot of, <laughs> yeah, a lot of responsibility, a lot of pressure on you there. But you said like, yeah, throughout your career there as a hypnotherapist. Yes. When did you notice you were not okay, you know, that you were burning out? Well, it's interesting because I think the onset of burnout for, was very insidious. It just mm. crept up on me. And, uh, I mean, I was used to being exhausted and tired and mm. feeling over overworked and, and, and depleted, but... There came a time when I, I, I just became so exhausted mentally and emotionally that I felt like I had absolutely nothing left to give. Mm. And it was only later when I understood more about burnout that I realized I had kind of become emotionally numb and hardened. Mm. Uh, I'd always been someone who was very compassionate and empathetic with my clients, but actually mm. I could no longer do that. I felt I was so depleted. I, I just, I, I, I felt like it was, I had nothing left to give. I just didn't, want, didn't really want to see anyone else. And, and at the same time, I was withdrawing from, from everybody, from family and friends, mm. because I just couldn't deal with people. Mm, mm. Yeah, so there was uh, the, the empathy that you, and compassion that you did have for your clients that was there you notice uh, was no longer there because you didn't have any anything to give anymore you yeah, know that's and, right and even with in your personal life outside of work you're withdrawing from your family and friends as well that social withdrawal feeling disconnected from that not having anything to give for that as well so those with the so some of the signs that things weren't okay for you at the time and and it wasn't something that you were, you weren't aware that this was burnout at the time that that wasn't until later that you no, not really. Yeah, I'd, ne- I'd never. I mean, I knew the term burnout, but I had no concept of of, of actually what it was. Mm, uh, mm. So it was, you know, that's why, you know, later on, I really wanted to understand more about, you know, what what's what's the whole picture behind burnout? Because for so many years, I'd loved my work. I loved yeah. making a difference. I get, gained so much satisfaction, but that mm. can also drive you to kind of over. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> overgive. <laughs> uh, yes, I can. I can certainly relate on that one. <laughs> uh, on all those things, in terms of those uh, signs, those symptoms, those yeah, the the not having any 
any energy, losing that compassion, empathy, and even passion for for yes. what I I did. You know, I I've always well, I'm not sure if I've always wanted to help people, but I definitely loved doing that. Um, but lost all of that love, and and yes. I hear that that was your experience as well. And I mean, is there anything else, uh, Sarah, that you noticed? In those early times where, yeah, you, you were finding you weren't balancing things, you were losing that empathy, the energy, that drive, that passion, was there any other things you noticed? I I think that was the main thing because, I, and it was it was the loss of, you know, having derived so much joy and satisfaction from my work. Mm. It was just a real contrast to no mm. longer want to do it. So there's an element of actually you know when I did burn out it's like well, what am I here for <laughs> because so much yeah. of my my life had been focused on helping other people and you know what's mm. there, there's, there was a real kind of sense of of emptiness and you know oh. a, a real void when I when mm. I felt when I realized I could no longer work wow that void yeah the, and empty that word and and uh, I'm not sure if this relates to you but like lost yes yes. yeah disconnect yes but yeah it's such oh uh, like loss of purpose loss of purpose was yeah oh loss of purpose yeah Yeah. which is so debilitating but a part of of um often a part of this experience of of what we term what we call burnout yes what can you tell tell us about what contributed to your burnout i know you shared already about the demands in your life in terms of motherhood and running your own business there, working with your clients. But I want, yeah, wanting to know what other things that you've come to know contributed to you burning out. Well, when I look back on my life now, I realise mm. that I, I was somebody who work always took priority. Mm. So a kind of leisure, pleasure, fun, relaxation was always secondary. Mm. and work and boys came first and mm-hmm. my own well-being was kind of way way down on the list of priorities so mm. that was that was a really important component that I did not I did not value myself enough to take good care of myself and I didn't mm. you know in 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 all my training we all only learned to to take care of other people and yeah. how to help other people but there was never any kind of emphasis on actually the only way you can carry on providing quality care to to, to your clients is to take really good care of yourself Mm. so for me that was uh there was a real disconnect I used to think of self-care as selfish Um, and also because I was uh I was kind of fiercely independent and so focused on my work, I didn't really have a great support network at that time. Mm-hmm. There were times I did, but most of the time I didn't. And I didn't allow myself time for leisure and pleasure. Yeah. Uh, so I was great at telling my clients what to do, but I did <laughs> not practice what I preached. <laughs> oh, you're not, you're not alone there, Sarah. <laughs> Myself and, and my previous guests, I mean, there's so many commonalities there amongst us all like that never having in in their um, you know studies in their in their training there wasn't that emphasis on the need to uh, take care of yourself as a facilitator to be able to take care of other people and that belief you know self-care is selfish yeah 
you know, that's been quite ingrained in our culture. And I think that's shifting. Um, it is. Uh, definitely. It is shifting. But yeah, so that was the big. That was the big element. But actually, when mm. I when I look back on my life, there mm. were times, there was quite a few years, I meditated a lot, I chanted a lot, mm. I did a lot of spiritual practices. And when I reflect back, I realize at that time, I was completely, because I was taking such good care of myself through those practices, mm. I, you know, my, my, my work flourished and I was able to really provide quality care. So, and then another time later, when the boys were older, we did a lot of sailing and windsurfing. And again, mm. that reinvigorated me. And at that time, again, my, my practice flourished. So mm. what, you know, on reflection, those, those phases in my life when I did take really good care of myself, everybody mm. benefited. And that's what's so easy to forget. Wow. So you have those lived experience that shows you that when I do take care of myself, yeah, the, uh, everything around me flourishes. Yes. My work, my relationships, yeah. my family. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yourself. Yeah, you know, yourself in in those systems, in that in the stuff that makes your life work. Absolutely. So, Sarah, with the burnout, because I remember with our chat, you uh, and you've already said so far too, you had to step back. You know, there was time away from work. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Well, I. I, I really had to step away to the times that became very clear to me. I, I was one day I had six clients who cancelled in one day. And I thought, mm. wow, the universe is giving me a really clear message here. And that's mm. what made me really st step back and think, I can't carry on working. It's not good for me. It's certainly not good for my clients. Mm. And so I referred all my clients on to other practitioners and I was so fortunate in that my youngest son by that time was just taking his final exams to, to go off and for his gap year before going to university. Okay. So I had the freedom for the first time for years to actually take a three month sabbatical and look after myself. Okay. So I, you know, it was funny because I had been a little bit envious of my two elder sons who could used to send wonderful emails about their travels. And I thought, oh, I'd love to do that. Mm. And I so I took three months off and I, I spent a month uh, crewing on a, a sailing boat in the Caribbean. Wow. Yeah. And then I and then I had two months just, you know, very cheap backpacking around Peru. Mm -hmm. And the combination of the two was just so perfect for healing, you know, my body, mind and spirit. Mm -hmm. Time out in nature, time in the sea, a lot of space and time to reflect uh, mm -hmm. and, and time out in nature. So mm -hmm. it healed my body, mind and spirit. And I did actually also work with a shaman mm -hmm. who uh, in Peru who helped me realize how much of the emotional impact of my emotional trauma of my clients I had I had absorbed okay yeah. uh, so that so I was uh, yeah. I was I was I, I didn't realize how much I had taken on from my clients yeah. without being aware of it yeah I I I had the same experience uh, once I did take that step back and was reflecting and going to therapy uh i became 
you know, quite aware of, I, I relate to it's just a deep well of sadness. Oh, and yeah. I, I did start to recognize that before I had to stop work. Mm -hmm. Like with my work with my supervisor, yeah. I worked out there was a lot of sadness there, but I didn't know why. And it became clear afterwards that I was holding a lot, yeah, of the, you know, we're like yourself, we're exposed, you know, in, in counseling work yes. to hearing, you know, you know, other people's, you know, very, very um their sorrows their suffering their traumas and, yeah yeah and, and and being present with that and that empathy and compassion that we give and and providing quite willingly yeah it's it, it yeah it does have an effect but you just don't know it at the time <laughs> yeah so it was quite an eye-opener for me as well to um recognize that and then allow i kind of keep call it a grief process or a, a, a I don't know about grief, but it was just like allowing that sadness to flow, you know. Sure. To, yeah, for me. But what was that like? Yeah, for you. Yeah. Well, you know, as you speak there, I realised, you know, and and uh, later on, I realised that having worked very deeply with my clients as a hypnotherapist, mm. I should have been receiving supervision. Mm. And that's, that, you know, that's the great thing about psychologists, psychotherapists and counsellors. They, yeah. you know, supervision is mandatory for so many of them, but it wasn't mm. for us. And for me, oh, yeah. uh, you know, reflecting back, especially the clients I was working with, I should have received supervision. Yeah. So that's a big learning for me. Yeah. Yeah. But that supervision from a senior colleague being out there for a while is just so valuable uh, you know certainly in the experiences i've had yeah yeah and and that's something i suppose with thinking about the systems around healthcare providers that you know really encouraging that any of the training facilities any of the institutions that are around for that just really driving that home the the need to care for ourselves professionally and personally absolutely Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Because it's a, it's a it's a very rewarding gig, <laughs> but it, it's uh, you know to counsel to you know help people with our expertise through emotional and mental difficulties, but it's also taxing. Yeah. 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 Well, and sometimes we don't know how taxing <laughs> until we step back. No. So you had that three, or oh, it sounds like about five months where things aligned. Your boys were the two eldest were out of home the other one was off to college or finishing his exam sorry yeah so that ability to be able to stop work for a while and to prioritize yourself and and get the rest and healing that you needed for your mind body and soul there yeah just checking in uh where are we at in this story <laughs> <laughs> were there other times that you took time off or, or what what were the things uh, that helped you there in, in your burnout? Well, I think it was it was that, that initial three months off. But while I was away, I, mm. I, I, I became fascinated about what had led me to burnout. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to understand more about it. And in that time away, I, I realized I'd love to help other people avoid burning out. And mm. so when I came back from my, my sabbatical, I decided to uh, embark on doing some research on burnout in health professionals. And mm -hmm. I found a, a, a kind of a university which would allow me to do a kind of a master's in research to specifically study stress and burnout in health professionals. Mm -hmm. And I mean, the funny thing was that the professor said to me, well, how are you going to fund your studies? I said, oh, I don't know. I'll, I'll find a way. 
And uh, mm. and she said, well, why don't you just send me your CV? And of course, having been self-employed for years, I had never written a CV. Mm-hmm. And But I ended up lecturing and uh, nutritional medicine students and complementary medicine students alongside doing my master's. And that gave me mm. a wonderful opportunity to share some of what I'd learned from my journey you know, yeah. to those to those different students. And at the beginning for my research, I was determined, I don't want to do a PhD. I'd like to write a book because I felt that would be, you know, that would get yeah. the message out to more people. And it's taken me a long time. But the research studies revealed so much mm. about uh, the underlying causes and, you know, particularly what led me to burnout. It became very, very clear. So it sounds like this process coming back from that t- a sabbatical, the time off, yes. where there was a lot of healing and processing, helped you with a new direction there in your in in your work in your life. Absolutely, uh, and, and devoting it to burnout. And it sounds like at the same time, it really helped you understand yours and and continue with that journey of recovery there for and, and I suppose future prevention too by helping you. So what did you learn as you ventured in that direction? Well, one, I mean, one of the the books, which which was a complete eye opener for me was a book written by two psychotherapists in the, I think in the 90s, uh, called When Helping Starts to Hurt by Grosh and Olson. And they, they were looking particularly at psychotherapists, but it was kind of very applicable for so many health and care professionals. And what they said, when you look at the patterns of poor self-care, is that it's really important to look at your family of origin, oh. to look at mm. the your childhood experiences and the beliefs and behaviors that you adopt when you're young that make it much harder for you to set clear boundaries or to take good care of yourself. Mm. So that book made me really reflect on my own life. Yeah. And when 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 my mother became pregnant with me, she already had two very young children. So when I was born, mm. she had three children under two and a half. So that, oh, wow. that was some very hard work. And my mother wasn't a natural, <laughs> natural mother. She okay. didn't find motherhood easy. But at the same time, my parents were emigrating to Canada. Oh, wow. So she, she gave birth to me at her grandmother's house, but my father was off in Canada trying to find a job. And mm. I'm sure that I picked up in the womb that I wasn't wanted. Mm. And so mm. from a very young age, with the feeling of not being wanted, I yeah. I just did everything I could to be loved and wanted. So I became a people yeah. pleaser. I just I just wanted to keep my mother happy. Mm. Mm. Doing that, I learned to kind of suppress my own feelings, not express my wants and needs keep everybody else happy, especially my mother. Mm. And so I never really learned to to value and care for myself. Yeah. Wow. Finding that out for yourself, being able to make that link. What was that like for you, Sarah? It, it was it was so profound mm. because I, I could see how, you know, all of those nurturing and caring instincts in me were developed from very young. And that's kind of, I'm sure, what drew me to work in a, in a, in a health and caring profession. But actually, yeah. when I saw the the impact on me, it was it, it was quite it was quite disturbing, really. 
Yeah, yeah, profound and disturbing at the same time. It was. But once I understood that, it became so much easier to realise, actually, now's the time to to really take good care of myself and learn to value and care for myself. And I did start to identify the beliefs and behaviour patterns that had, you know, led me down that slippery slope towards burnout. Mm. And it was, you know, I have to put everybody else first. Other people's needs are more important than my own. I also was brought up in with a hard work ethic. So work gets done first and pleasure is later. It's always work Mm -hmm. first. So hard work ethic was deeply ingrained in me as well. So I had to release a lot of those old patterns of behavior of overgiving. And I realized that when we're valued for what we do for others or how hard we work, it doesn't help us develop a sense of self-worth or confidence. Yes, yes. So there was that too. So there yeah. was that too. Yeah. And if, you, if you're wanting to keep everybody happy, it's really hard to set clear boundaries. It's hard mm-hmm. to say no. It's hard to express your wants and needs. And, you know, I'm still yeah. learning a lot of this now. So setting boundaries is, is quite a challenge. It's a lifelong challenge. Yeah. Yeah, like, so whilst you, you know, delving into burnout and discovering that and going down that angle, uh, with you know you work and study life there post this sabbatical it was also a, a journey for you in in like in a lifelong journey because as you said it's a it's a process yes. it's a unlearning of these patterns that we've developed from childhood it's it's a yeah it's a lifelong unlearning and and learning of of new ways yes. and and I sometimes see it as like keeping not hyper vigilant, but vigilant, because I'm mindful that those old patterns are so ingrained because they do spring from childhood, and and I've been doing them for twenty plus years, if not or actually a lot more. Yeah, it's it's not something that goes away easy, and and, and being mindful of those and, and forming those new behavioural patterns of boundary setting, and yeah, and and those things aren't easy. <laughs> it's hard work. It, it's hard work, and as you say, it's very easy to fall back in the old pattern into the old patterns again, and that's what happened to me. So, okay. so after I finished my masters, and actually, you know, there was a lot besides the uh, all of that about my, about the, looking at the family of origin and your childhood experiences. There was so much mm. more I learned, but in terms of the childhood patterns, I fell back into those old patterns again a few years later. Mm. Of when I was, uh, I you know, it was a bit like the role of the rescuer. I had invested some money in this uh, fraudulent property scheme and I took on the the role of, of helping all the other investors try and recoup their money by gathering all the evidence. And in that, I, I, I got into the old patterns of overwork, not taking care of myself, and I ended up severely ill. Okay. I ended up with a, an autoimmune condition, Graves' disease with an overactive thyroid that devastated my life for for three years. So I I realized how deeply embedded those patterns are, but Mm -hmm. also it showed me how we need to really take note of of our own stress levels and warning signs of stress and burnout Mm -hmm. and how close we are to the critical zone. So the first principle of my book is all about creating supportive beliefs and behaviors. But the second principle is looking out for those warning signs, understanding what's happening in your life so that you can take action before it's too late. Exactly. 
I actually thought I was kind of doing that, but then I realized through my burnout to recovery experience, I wasn't quite, well, I wasn't anywhere near it. But I thought in terms of being aware of, yeah, mind and body, just where those stress levels are yes. really, yep. not what you think they are, but what is actually going on and being able to then take the necessary steps in that moment so it doesn't end up being something chronic, which chronic stress can yeah lead to all manner of psychological and, and, and physical conditions as we know, yeah. um, burnout being one, depression being another for the mental health side. But I know chronic stress can also, and I'm not as well versed in this area, but you know, physical health issues sure. as well can contribute. Yeah. So easy to go, to have that relapse, you know, I kind of, you know, that relapse back yes. into those old behaviours, yep. especially when such a monumentous event happens there in your life, because that happened to you as well as the yes. people you were helping. <laughs> yeah, so you're invested. There's a whole heap of other people. And and so, yeah, got back in there, burnout happened, or worse, the autoimmune condition yes. that, you, that wiped you out for, for three years there. Yes. And it sounds like a, a period of time that was very devastating. How did, how did you cope through that? It, it was horrific because it, it also affected my eyes and my vision. And I had it's quite severe oh. double vision and very protruding eyes. So I looked kind of a bit like a goldfish. Mm. So it's, it's, but it, yeah, again, it made me step back. And to be honest, I, I, I couldn't, I couldn't handle any work at all. So I took a god <laughs> job gardening uh, yeah. on a, you know, a, a big, big estate and mm. just being out in nature, it was kind of low stress, mm. gradually built up my physical health and gave mm. me a chance to, to, you know, to step away from any stress at all. And, and you know, connecting with nature was, was, was brilliant. So I never, when, when you, when you're affected in such a way that you can't, you know, do your normal work, it's, it's quite profound. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I came through it, and I I I, I stuck with my <clears throat> I stuck with my vision of wanting to write a book. So even through that time, I I you know I I kept kind of writing and writing and writing and getting clarity for my book. So if I you know it actually took about ten years for the book to come together and finally get published. Yeah. But mm. I think what was interesting is that maybe it's maybe and I, I I'm only re reflecting on this now that maybe it was mm. that time of getting seriously ill. That was a time that made me realize I needed a much wider range of tools and resources to help me manage stress. Okay. So since then, I've, mm. I've, I've had much more of a focus on developing the tools and strategies to help me manage stress and to help other people manage stress. Now I'm in, mm. in the mode that I can do that again. So yeah. I realized the value of a kind of a, a comprehensive toolkit to manage yeah. the mental and the emotional and the physical, you know, demands of our lives and also about, you know, setting clearer boundaries and learning to say no. So maybe, mm. you know, intellectually, my master's gave me a lot of uh, understanding intellectually. Yeah. But then I needed to put it into practice. And yeah. so it's like it's all very well understanding what we need to do. But unless we put it into practice, it's, it's actually worthless. That's so true. And, and I love that concept of that wide variety. You started to notice needing a wider scope of coping resources. Yes. And not just having a few, like having a variety in your toolbox. And then 
of course, creating this for others who can benefit from your your journey, your experience and your knowledge and, and, and training and everything. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. you notice that for yourself as well. Yes. Yeah. And also reckon, mm-hmm. and that helped me recognize also that each person's needs are different. So mm. one strategy might help one particular person, but not somebody else. Mm. So that's why, you know, like in my book, I present a wide variety of strategies mm. for, you know, for, uh, for the different ways of building our resilience. Mm. And, uh, and I, I'm much better at, at, you know, using and applying those strategies now in my own life. And, and please, actually, for the listeners, the name of your book, I don't think we've shared that yet because it's out there now and available. Yeah, the, the book is called The Thriving Giver. Brilliant title. <laughs> yeah, The Thriving Giver. So it's great for overgivers like me. The Thriving Giver is seven principles for health professionals and caregivers mm. to enhance self-care and prevent burnout. Yeah, yeah. And I love that healthcare and caregivers, because like the majority of us in this world are in some sort of caregiving role, definitely females. Yeah, no doubt about that. That role of carer, how that, you know, especially if we've got some of those uh, things that you were talking about from childhood, like people pleasing and absolutely. Yeah, that work ethic, things that can set us up to end up not providing any care for ourselves, yes. not prioritising that, that that caregiving role can end up becoming yeah, toxic. So as you're doing this work and learning and applying what you're learning, creating something practical for everybody, you're learning and developing and, and changing as well. Yes. And, and I was wondering if you can tell me a little bit or tell us a little bit more about those coping resources that worked for you, I, I hear, like you said, it's unique for everybody. But what worked for you? What's in your toolbox now? <laughs> so, one of the things in my toolbox is expressive writing, mm. which is different from journaling because it's, uh, it's, it's something that you can often use if you're upset about something or something's troubling you, you can't still your mind. And you might just write for 15 or 20 minutes all, and focus on the thoughts and the feelings and the emotions rather than what mm-hmm. happened. And that very process of writing helps you helps you process and, and release a lot of the upsets and structure your thoughts. It's an incredibly powerful process that, and, and there's a lot of research evidence to support the benefits of it. And I've seen that in my mm-hmm. own life and in so many clients that I've coached, expressive writing, and in fact, there's a, a, a free, uh, you can download the chapter for free from my website on expressive writing, because for me, that's, it's, it's such a valuable tool for so yeah. many people. Okay. That's just really wonderful to provide that part of your work for free there for everyone to benefit. And we'll make sure that we have a link to that. Brilliant. Um, so listeners can access that because I, even though I called it journaling, my my uh, it was expressive writing because I tend to probably because of my psychology training (laughs) I I tend to write by expressing what I feel and what I'm thinking and what's going on yeah so I'm using that what as you've corrected me there like that expressive writing way uh, because journaling is more as if I'm understanding what you're saying is more the content like talking about the event or the thing that's yeah, stressing you out rather than the underlying feelings and thoughts and emotions. That's it. And, and for, for me, the journaling is a journal is something you tend to keep and reflect back on. Mm-hmm. But I did not want to keep my expressive writing. I want to okay. tear it up, burn it, 
crunch it up. <laughs> it's because yeah. it's it's all the angst and it's the turmoil and the distress, and I don't want to keep that. And uh, it's interesting because when I I do uh, I, I facilitate six day courses for medical students, and I used to talk about expressive writing in the class, and none of them did it. And then one session, I I invited them to get a piece of paper and to write for five minutes there mm-hmm. and then. And some of the students absolutely loved it. And they, and they said they could have written for hours. But at the end, you know, I handed around a, a, a bin so that they could tear it up, scrunch it up, put it in the bin. And so many of them found it very cathartic to release it mm. rather than keep hold of it. So the very experience of doing it for five minutes, some of the students carried on doing that because they could feel yeah. the benefits in just five minutes. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah it might reveal the deeper layers of emotions that are underneath or actually mm. you can see something from a different perspective when you yeah. look at the bigger picture that 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 you, it might be revealed or you might be grateful mm. for something or see the the light behind the the sun behind the cloud yeah yeah and like you said like so many ways to cope and finding what works for you and what other things did you discover that works for you out of your toolbox i think it's it's also finding a way to calm the stress response mm-hmm. so for me breathing exercises are an incredibly powerful way that you can directly help to activate that uh calming part of the nervous mm. system the parasympathetic part of the nervous system so mm. conscious breathing exercises which is which are different from simply mindful breathing so you're consciously learning mm. to uh, slow your breathing and extend the out breath because the out breathing is the out breath is the calming part of the breath mm. and mm. that again you know a lot of the medical students find it's so quick and easy to learn and mm. yeah can be incredibly powerful when you repeat it regularly yeah and it's a it's a quick go-to it you is. know I found that with myself too sure. uh, always returning to my breath yeah. always returning yeah. to her like she's my grounding force yeah. as well as nature just looking out to the sky sure uh, and so was that something that helped you as as well Sarah the having that go-to with your breath I, I actually learned that later from a, a friend that I met, a practitioner, a doctor who was particularly interested in in breathing and the power of mm-hmm. uh, using breathing exercises for health and well-being. So mm-hmm. I did a course with him and that uh, opened my eyes a lot to the value of breathing. And yeah. um, so I've been using it, you know, far more now and I use it a lot with clients. Yeah. So it's, it's kind of you carry on learning different tools and techniques. You mentioned there a GP who introduced that um, the power of the breath there for you, and and it just made me think of you know one of the things when we go through you know things like burnout in our life and and chronic illness there as well is the that the support network around us and and professionally and personally and I know you mentioned there when we we're exploring that early burnout experience that there wasn't. Uh, you know an accessible support network around you at the time and I I suppose I I wanted to know a little bit more about uh, you know your supports you know along that journey from burnout to recovery for you you know where did they emerge the personal but also the professional support yeah I mean it's interesting as I as I reflect back I didn't reach out for help 
Okay. I didn't reach out for professional support, so I didn't seek counselling or therapy at that time. I do that more now when I need it. Yeah. So it was a, it was a kind of, it was through doing the research and my own inner journeying. And as a hypnotherapist, I, you know, I, I kind of had quite a few processes that I would use for myself um, mm. to help me at different times. But it, it brings up the point, I, you know, I, I have been for so much of my life fiercely independent and reaching out for help was not in my nature. And that is something that has developed in the last few years is knowing that actually reaching out for help is a sign of courage. Yeah. It's not a sign of weakness, but for somebody who has been so fiercely independent, mm. I didn't naturally reach out for the help that would have been so valuable for me. Yeah. So that really, that learned experience from a young, you know, I'd imagine that stemmed from those younger years. Yes. That, that fiercely independent, yeah, really blocked you from from reaching out. Uh, Absolutely. But it's something that you've shifted and, and changed Oh, uh, over the last few years well yes. done and now you see your mindset's changed too you see you've gone from it's weak to reach out and ask for help to depend on others too it's courageous yes uh, that's such a shift but what what helped with that shift because that's not an easy one to do to move from I think I think it was maybe you know maybe um having a few close friends who really supported me through that through being ill and, yeah. you know, my, my sons were incredibly supportive at that time. They helped me in so many mm. different ways. So I, when I was ill, I couldn't, I, I, I couldn't do it all on my own. I had to, okay. um, I, I had to depend more on other people and, and ask for help. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm glad you've been through that shift. Um, <laughs> I, I can totally, I don't know if I've shared this with you before, but I call it toxically independent. Oh, yeah, I, that's a great word. Another <laughs> word, you know, but it's, I wrote about it in one of my blogs because I was coming to real, realize. I always, I always noted that I was an independent person and I took a lot of pride in that actually. So it is like a status symbol of, you know, I'm strongly independent. Uh, but yes, I learned through my process of burnout uh, that it had become toxic for me because it was without, uh, it was my independence was without accepting that help that was being offered to me. Like I, I'd prior to burnout would accept professional help. Like I would go and seek and see a psychologist supervision, things like that. But I wouldn't ask that of my family or friends. I wouldn't seek right. help from them. And they would, you know, a lot would actually, or some would offer, but I would always push that away. And I didn't even notice that. So that was my toxically independent, uh, and not relying on other people uh, for for support. I, um, I love that phrase, toxic independence. Yeah. It's powerful. <laughs> and actually, as you say that, I realised that when I was writing the book, especially in the last few years, I reached out to a lot of lot, to different people who really supported me with it. Yeah. And one friend in particular, it was like I realised by her helping me in terms of editing and sound, you know, acting as a soundboard for the book, it fed her, it nurtured her. And mm. so you realize that sometimes when you do reach out for help, it's it's a win-win situation. And that was, you know, yes. that was such an eye-opener yeah. for me. Wow. And that's something that, oh, so many similar experiences, which happens with all the guests that I talk to. We end up, 
yeah, I can relate to that. <laughs> but that that really important, valuable lesson that I hope, yeah, like you know, sharing there with the listeners that by actually accepting that help or, or asking for that help, allowing that in, you're actually, yeah, helping them. I learned the lesson actually through my relationship, and I think it was pre-burnout actually for me that through some couple counselling that that my partner needed to feel needed right by me yes Yes. and because i'm so strong and back then i would say strongly independent i wasn't recognizing it as toxic even then yeah it he felt like he wasn't needed at all which that's how i treated it like because in in the terms of really needing help um because you know i have it all together yeah (laughs) (laughs) but now that through this burnout experience you know certainly having learned and continuing to learn to lean on others and i like that term interdependence yes uh, yes where it's that marriage of the two sometimes we need to lean into that dependence and 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 lean out of that independence but often we're floating between the two on a range of yeah and it's okay it's not weak it's actually necessary in order (laughs) to live this life so you had some beautiful people around you there that particularly it sounds like when you got really sick with um so with crohn's or it was actually it was Graves' disease. So it's I had an overactive thyroid, which finally mm-hmm. I had to have removed, and thyroid eye disease, which was a, just a horrific condition. Yeah, through that process, that's where because you were forced to lean on. So yeah, you, and there was people around you. Thank God who who yeah. were there for you, and you were able to learn that valuable lesson of the importance of that, and continue reaching out when you need it since then oh absolutely Um, absolutely yes was there anything like particular about that support that you got from your friends and family and anything professionally as well you know that that was particularly just how they went about their support that you found was particularly helpful for you i think it's it's just being there you know being Mm. there and knowing 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 it's okay for me to reach out and yeah. uh, and knowing who to reach out to because different friends and, and family support you in different ways mm. uh, that's that's another important point there about support as well is everyone's different you know who's available what kind of support do they yeah. provide because yeah like i i learned that as well with my network you know i would go to certain people for certain things <laughs> i um you know, my, my younger sister for distraction and hanging out with my nephew there. And, you know, she would always, we'd be up for like a watching a movie or something like that. She was good for that. And and then if I wanted to really talk about my feelings and thoughts, that would be my, my husband. Yeah. Because he was, he's become quite great at, at listening. <laughs> just with me. But yeah, but it was just the presence of them too, you know, just being around people who are doing their best to care. I will bring in one thing here is that when, when you're kind of, uh, I have learned that when you're reaching out for help or support is giving mm. them permission to say no or not now. Yeah. Because if I, if I ask for help with something and, but don't put the pressure on yeah. them, I, I feel more comfortable if, if, if it's okay for them not to say yes. Yeah. So giving them permission that it's okay if they're not, yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. That's really beautiful as well. I never thought about that. I feel like I may have, and I don't want to miss any valuable, important things that you've come to know and learn about, you know, both the, the early parts of your burnout experience, you know, throughout to your, your your recovery and learning everything you've done 
So I just want to give choice there or, you know, opportunity there to share anything else that's come out of this experience for you. I, I think one of the things I've become aware of, and, and not just for myself, but actually when I was interviewing people for my book, is that sometimes we need to make structural changes in our lives. So for me, I, I had to stop work completely, but I know having interviewed and spoken to and coached, you know, many, many health professionals and others, it's like sometimes structural changes need mm -hmm. to happen. So some people might need to, you know, reduce their workload and go down to part time mm -hmm. or, or change the balance of their shifts or, you know, for a nurse, they might work, you know, instead of having regular shifts work on banks so they can choose which shifts work for them. So it's like sometimes we need to kind of reevaluate mm -hmm. our lives. I have a chapter in the book, Become the Architect of Your Life, so that you can reevaluate what areas of your life, whether it's your work or your personal life, that, that need, to be, need to be looked at. Oh, that's lovely. I like the phrase architect of your life. Yes. And, and shining that light on the structural changes that may need to be made in yes. order to help support that recovery if you're already in burnout and, and of course, preventing that as well because it can be the structure itself you know, yes. that is, is not working yes. in, in terms of our health and well-being. And I can, I can relate to that with I can definitely see now, I didn't see at the time, the structure was not working uh, for me and how I set up my work and personal life. It wasn't that balance and, and, no. and how I would do that differently now. Yes. And I like that. And I think this is why I'm reflecting now. I like that title architect because I am taking charge of my life now. That's like I right. think before I was just following what I thought thought I should be doing yes rather than and because also uh I call it achievement I was an achievement addict because <laughs> I got yes. my uh, sense of self-worth through achievement so yes. I just kept on that on that path achieving the things that primary years my um, early years was seen as signs of success which was education in, in my family so just kept going that but yeah being an architect of my life now I like that because there yeah, that's what I've haven't used that word, but have been doing and setting it up to work for my health. And so with you, what kind of, was there structural changes for you? Well, for, for me in a way, I've kind of, I've done it. Uh, it's, it's happened naturally by taking time out, by doing my masters and then uh, kind of getting into some training, but not too much and deciding, no, I'm, you know, I don't want, I, I want to go on a ski holiday instead of doing that training. So mm -hmm. it's kind of consciously making those choices. But I, I know for, for many of the people I've worked with, they've actually, that's been a really important element of what has enabled them to carry on working and, and thriving in, in, in their work. And one other thing I think is so important is that, mm -hmm. you know, having worked with some nurses who've burnt, burnt out, it's like, it's okay to take time off. It's yes. okay to, and it's essential sometimes for you to take time off, even if it puts pressure on your team team around you and your yeah. colleagues who you really want to support. Because if you take that time out and, and you kind of uh, reflect on life and reprioritize and develop the skills that are going to help you cope with the pressure and stress, then you can go back into work and start to thrive and you can provide, you know, really quality care again. Yeah. But when we're depleted, we cannot provide that quality mm -hmm. care. 
And it comes back to what you said earlier uh, about learning that lesson that we've got to care for ourselves in order to be able to yes. continue to care for everyone else. So those structural changes and allowing and it being okay, normalizing and validating time off uh, yes. for, for self-care, you know, uh, for looking and nourishing ourselves. I think it brings up for me some of those kind of more cultural systemic changes that need to occur to help support the health and well-being of the individual uh, yes. in society and in, in and in the workspaces as well like for management and uh, you know whoever's in charge you know to really uh from the top down uh to have these messages you know yes to, that yeah. Yes, it's it's okay to take time off, and, and actually, we encourage it. I, I I think you know I've I've kind of emphasised very much my own personal mm. behaviour patterns of that held me back from taking good care of myself yeah. and managing stress effectively. That people pleaser and what I call the overgiver. Uh, but I maybe what I haven't kind of mentioned a bit more is that. Yeah. So for for so many of those working in in health and social care, mm -hmm. they have those similar patterns of overgiving. Yeah. And so the overgiving pattern is, and that's what's often missed out, I believe, in mm -hmm. you know so many uh, trainings and workshops is looking at those systemic, you know, in in belt patterns and beliefs and behaviour patterns mm -hmm. that hold us back from taking good care of ourselves. And with growing, it's starting to be more research showing that many people who are drawn to the health and the healing caring professions have taken on the role of caretaker or when they were younger, yeah. that kind of, so they develop that, those patterns of overgiving and overcaring and putting their own needs aside. Yeah. And then the industry itself ends up becoming a bit toxic because it's full of pleasers yes. and overgivers and, and that it's hard to unlearn a pattern that's actually now become systemic within that industry. And probably the people in the management positions being senior nurses or whatever themselves, just using that profession as an example, perpetuate or could, if, yeah, that, yes. that overgiving without you know, yes. meaning to, but because they are themselves, yeah. It also brings up that for many of us, you know, we've got high levels of empathy, but the high levels of empathy also make us more predisposed to feeling the emotions and pain and distress of those that we're working yes. with. Yes. And the, there's certain amount of research that shows that those who empathize with uh, emotional empathy mm. are more prone to burning out than those who empathize with, with uh, you know, cognitive empathy and are able to empathize without kind of feeling those feelings yourself. So that's another element that I didn't, I don't go into that in great detail in my book, but I'm well aware. So many of us who are empaths, you know, the, the distress and the pain that we can pick up from, from those we work with yeah. is, we, we, we need to learn how to handle that. Yeah, people who are working in these uh, caregiving industries tend to have these elements that both you and I have recognized in our own, you know, that has predisposed us to our yes. experience as well. And that it, well, maybe I'm kind of leaping here, but I think that then becomes a, an industry issue as well, where maybe we 
create an environment where we don't perpetuate these things. Yes. I think at the moment it's still very much up to the individual to go get the help they need to treat the burnout yeah. and things like that, which is all great. And, you know, you can, I've gotten a lot of help that way. Yeah, I just think in order to really treat burnout or any of the associated conditions, change not only needs to happen on the individual level, but on those cultural systemic levels as well outside of ourselves. Yeah. And I think what, what also what it, what it highlights, though, is, is for empaths, we, you know, who are easily feeling the distress or the pain or, of, or the suffering of those we're working with, it's even more important for us to create a balanced life and joyful and pleasurable activity so that we can reconnect to those positive emotions within ourselves. Mm, definitely. So that I think that's kind of bringing the joy and pleasure into your life. It feeds you, but it has so many wider benefits and the research on positive emotions is mm. you know growing of, mm. of of how it can start to change our mindset but it changes our physiology yes but but putting some really simple and practical effective strategies into your daily life can make such a difference and that's the best starting point because then you it's within your control exactly and thank you for bringing that because that word the phrase there in your control we can actually work on ourselves we can become yeah. more knowledgeable and aware of what's going on for us and and, and getting the tools and and, and the professional uh, uh, personal support to get there and that's something we can act yet yeah everyone can actually do and and yeah organizational change is a lot slower and not in our control <laughs> and cultural change no. is even slower <laughs> and but by making changes ourselves and like you so willingly coming on the show and us talking about this and just making it verbal we're helping shift and change you know the culture as well sure. so yeah i feel like we've talked about so many rich things today that have, have come out from your own experience of, of burnout into your recovery what one of the things i always ask my listeners and uh, listeners my guests <laughs> is that you know if there's anything I, I suppose with anybody out there if they are or think they might be going through what you've been through what i've been through you know what your guidance might be to to them in this moment I, I think the key thing is to reach out to for support professionally and also with you know friends and family so so you can be honest with how you're feeling and if you mm. need to take time out that's absolutely fine but one of the key things I think is often missed and, and hopefully might might be illustrated by my story and your experience too Shannon is that burnout can be a catalyst for change oh yeah and when we see it as a catalyst for change, it's an opportunity for us to grow and develop. It's an opportunity for us to reflect on our lives. Yeah, it's a nice way to look at it as well. But it's also, it's also real. It's real. I know this sounds really strange. Even I feel strange saying burnout has been the best thing that's happened to me. Yeah. Which like, even as I'm saying that, I'm noticing a well of emotion going, yeah. and I'm, I'm not going to, I'll just sit with that. <laughs> I think it, but yeah, it's been a painful, absolutely painful experience, but it's been the best experience because it's like you just said, it's a catalyst for change and who I am now, what I'm doing now, what, you know, everything about my life is a hell of a lot better <laughs> than where I was. Right. And if it wasn't for burnout, I wouldn't be here. No. So, you know, in, in this position, I had to go through that to get there. So it's a catalyst for change. So people listening out there that 
in the thick of theirs and recognizing they are in the thick of of burnout or something to to that effect that this this is an opportunity for change this is growth and reach out get link in talk link into support as you said to help you on that road to change and and growth yeah yeah and and you might need and it's important to be honest about what your needs are and maybe you've not really expressed your needs like me and learn to be true and and honest about what's really going on with ourselves within ourselves so that authenticity really yeah emotionally emotionally authentic Sarah, thank you so much for your willingness to come on the show and and share your burnout to recovery experience with us all. I know the listeners are going to benefit so much from from hearing uh, what you had to share today. So thank you. Thank you. I really appreciate being invited to uh, as a guest on your podcast, Shannon, because it's so important for, for to spread the message about burnout and how it can be such an opportunity for change for people. Thank you. Before you go, I'd just like to say a big thank you for listening to this episode of Burnout, A Different Kind of Gap Year. If you'd like to get in touch to provide some feedback, please do. There's lots of different ways that you can uh, through either the where you're listening or tuning into on the podcast. Sometimes there's facilities there or you can email me at a different kind of gap year at outlook.com. I'm also on the social media pages, both Instagram and Facebook, uh, which is under the handle burnout, a different kind of gap year. If you did like this and or feel like someone else would benefit from listening to this, please share it. Don't keep it to yourself. The more we can talk about burnout, the more we can normalize and validate this experience for all people out there and um, support them in in getting the help that they need. Uh, So that's it from me. Uh, Please subscribe if you'd like to uh, be informed when the next episode releases, but usually it's the first week or two of the month. Uh, So yeah, I look forward to bringing you the next episode of Burnout, A Different Kind of Gap Year. But until then, take care.